I feel like when I don't prep, the show goes better. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have a little fun along the way. So I am your host, Chris Boyer, a digital marketing strategist that works with hospitals and health systems around the country. You can find me online at, at Chris Boyer and my website, ChristopherBoyer.com. And I am joined by my friend and co-host, Reed Smith. How are you, Reed? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good, good. Uh, well, much like Chris, I also work with hospitals and healthcare systems uh, on a daily basis. And you can find find me online. Reed Smith uh, is my Twitter handle. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, you should be able to track me down uh, pretty easily there. And then you can also find more about what I do at socialhealthinstitute.com. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're both we're both pretty active, so it shouldn't be too hard to track us down. And those that have been listening along the last few weeks, uh, we very much appreciate that. And welcome back. If you're new, uh, find us online, learn a little bit more about us, and um, we'd love to have some feedback. Not only would we love to have feedback, we would love for you all to go out there to iTunes and maybe give us a little iTunes love. Yes, absolutely. Three things. So if you've listened to us, uh, again, thank you. We have a favor. I need you to go to iTunes and subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. When you're there, go ahead and rate us. So that's the star rating part. And then actually write a review. All that stuff is super, super helpful. It makes it a little bit easier for other folks to find it. Subscribe rate, review. Be super helpful. Thank you. In fact, the most creative review I think will feature every week in the podcast. So be creative, be fun, say something that you think other people will laugh at. That's right. Well, Reed, today we're going to be talking about another three-word topic. (laughs) Search engine optimization. Yes. SEO. SEO, not to be confused with SEM, which is maybe a different topic podcast. Search engine marketing is obviously the paid side of the equation. Uh, where you're buying ads, um, things like that. Search engine optimization. Chris, tell us a little bit about what that is. Sure. Well, there's a lot of different definitions, right, around what SEO is. In general, high level, it's a methodology of strategies, techniques, tactics used to not only increase the amount of visitors to your website by obtaining a high-ranking placement in the search engine results page, But it also is designed to help to optimize visibility of your properties online through search engines. And ultimately, I think the practice of SEO is around optimizing click-through rates, getting people to actually not only find you, but click on your site. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the the name of the game. And it really extends past the regular Google search now, right? The text-based search. SEO is now map searching, video searching, news content, images, just about any kind of content that's out there. There are search engines now that are designed to bring your content forward. And Google is a really good bellwether for all the different types of content that people are now able to search on. When you use Google Read, do you use the search engine to search just for like text-based searches? Or do you use it to also search maps? Do you use it to search videos? Images a lot. So, you know, in my professional life, it's a great way to find richer content, so to speak. But then also even just, you know, folks use it in their daily life. Like I'll use it with the kids and things like that relative to homework. And it's obviously in a lot of cases much more effective to have that that visual piece. I think probably the other primary one that I use is, is news. Trying to find the most recent thing about a particular topic or trying to find an article that I heard about or, or something like that. And then not that it doesn't get kind of lumped into the primary search field because news does and, you know, the images and things like that with video as well. A lot of times video search is done on YouTube, which is a Google property. When we're talking about search engine optimization, I think a lot of times we have to think about it. People are swapping out Google optimization, search engine optimization, Google and search engines. Let's just be fair here. Google owns, at at the rough estimate, 80% of all search traffic right now that's happening online. I think a lot of times when you're talking about this, you really talk about Googling stuff. It's become like like a Coke 
Okay, great. What would you like? People don't really mean a Coke. They mean a soft drink. Uh, do you find it odd when people are like, yeah, I was looking on Bing. I'm like, you were? Like, why? I can't help when someone like opens up their search engine and it opens up to y- Bing or Yahoo to judge them a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean it in a bad way. I understand that some people are used to that, but you know, it's almost as bad as like AOL to me. It's like, wow, really? We're still using that? It feels a little antiquated. But you know, those search engines are actually doing things slightly different. And, um, you know, there's other types of search engines that are out there. I, I, I know that when you're in the research or in the, in the, in the news profession, LexisNexis is a really great place where people use to search for particular types of things. Although we do say Google a lot, let's, let's just kind of refer to this as sort of like the general searching through all search engines that could potentially be out there. Search engine optimization as a profession is starting to expand to include some other specialties and other applications. Do you want to talk a little bit about those, Reed? You know, we, we mentioned search engine marketing earlier, and I think they play, you know, hand in hand. Now, that's obviously something we'll get into more in depth, you know, in the future. That's the paid side. You know, search engine marketing are the little ads that you see show up at the top of your search results if there are people running ads against those particular keywords or search phrases. That could also mean, uh, you know, paid efforts in social media, you know, things like that. Display ads, etc. Mobile search, same yet different. Obviously, we're, we're very uh, in tune to how people use their mobile devices. Now, if you look in Google Analytics, you can see what types of devices and technology and things like that people are using to find your site and words they're using to find your site. App search. And so this may be a search functionality within a particular you know, branded app, for example. So you download something from the iTunes store on your iPhone, and that has some sort of a, you know, search functionality inside of it, you know, as well as it may actually pull from other sources or it may only pull from within the app. A social search, you know, this is obviously something that, that you're doing uh, inside a particular social media platform. So it could be the search that you're performing inside of Facebook, should be, you know, it could be hashtags you're looking for on Twitter. And then device search. Some people call, you know, or you maybe heard the phrase uh, Internet of Things uh, or IoT. Th- these are actual pieces of hardware that reside uh, in your business, in your home, whatever it may be. Probably the most common or, or things you think about are the Amazon Echo or, you know, Google Home or something like that. But one of those little devices that you see the commercials about that are, you know, sitting on someone's table and they audibly ask it to play, you know, music or what's the weather or a movie movie time or, you know, whatever it may be. So all driven through a voice search functionality, uh, you know, through a piece of hardware that's connected to the internet. Yeah. And in, in that case too, right, it could be like a Siri or a, what is the Microsoft version of Siri? I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, if you take that to the car, for example, the Microsoft Sync product that's that they're in vehicles like Ford, probably one of the better voice activated products I've seen in, in a car. You're asking for directions. You're asking for a number of different things through those devices. Pretty soon we're going to be asking our refrigerator to order more milk for us and our doors to open and our lights. Uh, and we're not too far from that. If you start looking at things like Amazon Pantry, where you can use some of these devices as you are looking in your refrigerator to add it to your shopping list. You know, when you look at some of the top tactics or ways to do SEO, search is always constantly evolving. And Google, again, is driving the trend here of how search engine optimization is happening, where those changes are occurring. And so whenever you look at trying to start down the SEO path, there are literally hundreds of things that you could do. But I think that when organizations are starting to to think about SEO, it boils down to a couple of top things, the things that are just kind of, I would even almost call them cost per entry. It's stuff you have to do in order to be found on these search engines nowadays. It all boils back to the very first most important thing, I think, is high value content. And when we say content, making sure that your content's findable, searchable, you're using keyword strategies, long tail and long neck strategies, whatever they are, what you're doing is you're creating good content. And the content's not just text, it's your videos, it's your pictures. You mentioned earlier using image search. How many organizations don't tag their images appropriately so that they can be found on search? That's a huge thing. So making sure that your content is is high value, findable by people, but at the same time, 
time, not to make it feel like it's too uh, spam-like. You don't want to have too many you know, words in there to make it feel like it's designed to link bait. It's got to be natural, organic content that can be found by search engines, but also useful to people. Another thing that organizations that are getting into SEO should be looking at is making sure that their sites are mobily responsive. We've talked about that for a number of years now. But even more so, not only mobily responsive, mobile-friendly uh, which is a little different in terms of your architecture, the way your site is structured, your your menus are easily findable, that the search engines can crawl through your site easily. You also want to start to adapt technologies that allow your sites to load faster on mobile devices. Google AMP is a big example of that. Maybe it's even one step further, which is mobile first design. Hit that tipping point even with smaller hospitals that the majority of their traffic on a monthly basis is coming not from a mobile device, but from a phone. With that emphasis, you know, it's that's super, super important. And I would I would say one thing to go through, not to get off on a whole nother tangent, but one thing to go through and look at is all your third party tie-ins. Are they mobile first? Because it's great that you've got this responsive website, but when your patient portal doesn't work that way or some other widget around content, all that plays into it, you know, in trying to have the best experience. There's nothing worse than trying to pay a bill on a non-responsive form. A third thing to look at are really good links. People that are linking to your site, linking back and forth from your site, making sure that you have high quality links. You know, linking strategy is something that gets a little bit more sophisticated, but it becomes very important. And moreover, also the in-linking, the linking within your site, making sure you're linking to valuable content, how you're linking linking strategies. Those That's like a really important part of SEO. Then we get into things that get a little bit more nebulous, a little bit less prescriptive. You get into making sure that your information architecture is set up right, that your content's easy to find, that it's usable by people, that it's usable not only by people, but by search engines. A lot of times hospitals have physician directors that search engines have a lot of hard time crawling, right, to find content because they're dynamically populating information. That becomes a big part of that too. Or it's powered by a third party that, again, you don't have really any control over. A lot of people are searching for a physician by name, or maybe it's by specialty and geographic location or whatever it may be. So you're giving up a huge piece of SEO by allowing that to be powered outside of your control. You know, you're, you're losing, in a lot of cases, that SEO equity. And then you start to get into really advanced stuff. Well, it's not really advanced, but stuff where you we'll talk about more in our what's new section, but around voice, predictive search, artificial intelligence. How do we start using this metadata, the taxonomy now, to start to predict and optimize the way we're found online? So, Reed, what are some SEO strategies that hospitals are doing right now? Typically, is fueled by their competitors showing up ahead of them. And so, it's usually service line oriented or service or institute or programmatic. There's a branding piece to it that has some has some real value, you know, depending on how competitive your market is or maybe you're trying to move into a new market. Uh, you've got a really strong brand somewhere and you're you're starting to see that you get a fair amount of inward migration. And so you want to start kind of pushing into that market a little heavier. I see also a lot of hyper-local SEO campaigns where they're trying to drive like local movement to consume care. And that could be to a physician. It could be to an urgent care center. It could be to a practice office or what have you. Yeah, freestanding ERs that go up in a um, you know suburban market, for example. How do you push into those neighboring neighborhoods? But yeah, the hyper-local one's interesting, and that's probably a good topic in and of itself. A lot of organizations I see are just just internally trying to just keep the basics going, get the good content, focusing on the, the the mobile responsiveness, the good links, and then everything else, they tend to bring in experts. And that seems to be pretty good and working pretty well, particularly with how fast the market is shifting. The formula to win, you know, changes every day. So if you look at something as I say as simple, that that's not a great depiction, but something just like Google. Just your search engine results in that one search engine. Uh, I, I don't know what the current number is, but it's you know they used to change the formula or the algorithm you know four hundred some odd times a year, so more than once a day. 
the idea that you're going to game the system is kind of out. So you have to look at what are the best practices. And, you know, SEO is really, you know, it's a longer play. You know, you really have to invest in that and stick with it over a long period of time for it to really have, you know, the desired impact. Um, you know, if you need to get there quickly, then that kind of moves you towards the SEM side of the equation or, or you know, paying for that traffic, so to speak. What, 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 what is news? All right, welcome to What's News. Uh, so our article we're going to talk a little bit about is one that uh, Chris surfaced, and it's over on Medium. This week, we're pulling a particular post that was written by Shell Holtz. Chris and I have had the uh, opportunity to be around and, and know through our days at the Mayo Clinic primarily. We thought this was a really interesting article. Uh, had some really great stuff in it. Again, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Shell Holtz, the name of the article on Medium, One True Answer and the Declining Relevance of search and SEO. So really what he's talking about here is, is search dead? You know, are we, are we trending that direction? So, you know, really what is the value of SEO as we know it? He starts with an anecdote of him realizing that the apples are in the refrigerator and should they be refrigerated or not? And then that causes him to do a search. But the way he does a search to try to find the answer to should apples be in the refrigerator. He actually asks his Echo device, should we refrigerate uh, apples? And he got an answer that came from the farmer's almanac, and it says you should. And then he tried it out, the search on another device, and he came up with a different answer and says, you don't need to refrigerate your apples. And that got him to thinking a little bit about how searches change dramatically in this space. And primarily, he was talking about now with these voice-activated searches with Siri, with Google Home, whatever it might be, that if you're looking for things, that a lot of people are getting just one answer back. It used to be where we had 10 search results, and now it's being narrowed down to one, one search result. And, and, and that got him to thinking about, well, is really search engine optimization dead? Or is it now the era of one true answer? Yeah, I think that's interesting. And so I think we've seen it hedge that way over a couple of years uh, or several years. Because to your point, you used to search and then there was a page of search results. And then we started folding in like maps uh, and ads and etc. And so it's busted up, at least in Google, it's busted up what that search result page looks like. And so the expectation becomes, I need to be in the top three. And so I think we've at least mentally been headed this way probably for some time. I think it gets a little dangerous when it's just the top one. You know, because we've seen what that means when a celebrity takes a stance on whatever, well, I'm not going to go into some of the... Anti-vaccination. Yes, yeah. I was not going to say it, but you said it. So, you know, Jenny McCarthy became the expert. And so this drives home the point of our needed involvement in this space. Clinicians, researchers, patient advocates, patients themselves, you know, that type thing. I've never thought about, especially voice search that way, where they're not going to give you like... You know, well, here's the top three or here's the top page. It's just here's the answer. Now, when you search on just even the Google on a desktop computer and you search Google, what happens is your natural search results do appear, but they appear below all this other stuff that Google's already putting there. They're putting maps, they're putting images, they're doing these knowledge bands, right, where they're actually pulling content out and saying, here's the answer that you're looking for. Really, what that meant is that Google was starting to become the answer engine encouraging people not to leave a Google property to go to a website, almost being antithetical to the SEO approach. The Mayo Clinic uh, you know, has the content that shows up there, those cards, if you will, around disease states or particular illnesses, or you, know, you Google something about ACL tears and you're probably going to get the little card over on the right-hand side about you know, what's an ACL. Powered by or from, content from the Mayo Clinic, keeping you there versus you clicking through to the Mayo Clinic. Now, that makes sense from a Google perspective because obviously Google is not a nonprofit company. They make money from ad revenue and making sure that you're interacting with their properties and getting information about you and using that information to serve up 
information to you better in a holistic way, and but also in a advertising-driven way. But I think that when you think about the two examples that we just gave, Mayo Clinic being a really authoritative resource, uh, the information they're providing through these knowledge cards are vetted, obviously, by some of the best physicians, right, arguably, across the, across the country. But then on the other hand, you have the ability for people like the celebrity talking about anti-vaccination being able to take control of that. And the question would be, is Google considering or any kind of uh, these new search devices now considering that to be knowledgeable enough to make it that one true answer, as Shell says? Would Amazon Echo put Jenny McCarthy's voice as the answer to anti-vaccination over, let's say, a Mayo Clinic doctor, that becomes a bit of a challenge on organizations, a bit of a almost like an ethical challenge, maybe for Amazon even or Google to make a decision whether the, where they should go and how do they authorize this content? Yeah, so I mean, is it just simply we're going to read off the top search result that already exists on the desktop side? Because in most cases, there's probably not a one-size-fits-all. Now, if you're looking for the closest restaurant to you, that's a little more definitive. Should you refrigerate apples? I don't know. You get multiple sources. Or should you anti-vaccinate your child? The medical implications are significant here. And when you think about that, it becomes a bit of a play here. Do the search engines now start to take control and start to serve up what they feel is the best answer? Do they start to serve up multiple answers? And would that be useful? Would an Amazon Echo, if I said, should you refrigerate your child? Sorry. <laughs> no. That's not the right No, one. you should no. not refrigerate your child. <laughs> refrigerate your apple. Um, is Are they going to offer one answer at one point and another answer at another point? Are they going to offer two answers? What does that become? What does the future state of, of things become? And even more so, if you're getting away from looking at like a phone or a device and you're getting to the point where you're asking your refrigerator or you're asking whatever device that you're wearing or whatever's in your home, how are we going to start to decide what's that one true answer? That's a, that's a tough deal. I think, you know, where you'll probably see a lot of these devices headed, it would be better to then connect you with, you know, other sources of some sort. And I don't know what that means or what that looks like. So, but in our space, it becomes kind of important if you think about that. So marketers, digital marketers that are in hospitals and health systems, if they're starting to take advantage of some of these new ways to access content, how are they going to start to become known as that authority. It used to be that in the old days, if you were the number one result on Google search, you were considered the best answer to that question, whether you deserve to be or not. Nowadays, it's like, how do we do this? Do we create subjective terms around this? If in the future, someone wants to say, I'd like to schedule an appointment for a cardiologist to their Google home device or their Amazon Echo, is that something that we can actually realize? I mean, I think it has to be. I think that's what the expectation is going to be, at least. And, and I think even from a search perspective, I think what a lot of people still don't really continually grasp is that there's a lot that goes into what shows up on your search result, your personal search history, where you're physically located. There's a lot of things that go into that that are going to make those search results different for you and I. You're in the Twin Cities. I'm in the middle of Texas. So just from a geography standpoint, if we both Google ER near me, we very clearly are going to get different results. And so if you start looking at the voice side of the equation, it can take into account, I guess, some of that stuff. But to your point, you know, who can fulfill the appointment request? How does that work? Where does it go? Who has that capability? Is that taken into account, therefore skewing the results? I think that's an interesting dilemma that we have to face. And there's some things that Shell pulls forward in this article that I think is worth just at least us mentioning. First of all, he says that Gartner predicts that by 2020, the average person will have more conversation with bots than with their spouse. Yeah, that's just dis that's disappointing. But, uh, but again, it, it, depending on what they're classifying that to include, you spend an awful lot of time in your car. You know, commutes are getting longer and longer, you know, et cetera. So that may not be as bizarre as you think about it. If you look at how much time we spend on our devices now, it's really kind of probably the same thing. It's just instead of typing stuff in, we're going to be saying stuff out loud. 
I think that as we look at the future, where the future state is, people are going to start to expect that all of this information is clouded together somehow, and that when we ask whatever device that can hear our voice and can respond to us, that question, we are kind of expecting the right answer coming our way. And that, from a healthcare perspective, is both exciting and also a little bit, I would say, daunting. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right. This is the touch point, touch counterpoint part of the podcast. And and Reed, you've been introducing these the last couple of times, and you said there's a debate around the name of touch point, touch counterpoint. If you listen to the little song bumper, the little intro bumper to this segment, it does say touch point, touch counterpoint. So I think we, we probably should just land on that. Um, that's not to say that those little bumpers are actually authoritative, so to speak. In fact, I've had some listener feedback that they're wondering why we chose the music we did. We'll get into that and probably in, maybe uh, at a different time. But still, uh, it introduces us for now as Touchpoint, Touch Counterpoint. So if you're comfortable, let's use that as the framework for this uh, segment. Yeah. Are you cool yeah, with that? I'll, let it, I'll okay. let it slide for now. Okay, you can bring it up again, though, if you want. Um, and uh, and just to orient people, if they haven't heard this before, if this is new to them, this is the way we, Reed and I, will take a particular part of the topic of the podcast, maybe a particular idea or what have you, and we'll argue for extreme sides, pro and con, whether we agree with them or not. And in many times, like today, we don't know what the other person's gonna, what side the other person's gonna take, as a way to kind of loosely test our debate skills. Because certainly, when you work in a hospital health system, you have to be able to defend certain things. Are you ready to get started, Reese? Do it. Okay. Our topic is: we don't need SEO and search engines anymore because we have voice search and social and artificial intelligence. Do you agree with that statement or not? I do not. I, you know, yes, we have those things, but they're not uh, commonplace. So for very much the same reasons that we've talked about previously, I think you still have to have SEO. Uh, I still think it's a huge deal, uh, especially uh, with an aging population that we have using hospitals. While I see what you're saying, I still think that the moment people start to interact with these simple devices that allow you to search so much easier than typing words, there's a mass scale adoption of these. Think about when the iPhone launched Siri many years ago, and how many people are now using Siri as voice-aided search. Google Home and Google and Amazon Echo has millions of device implementations. This is not just like a fad. This is not a trend. These are easy, simple tools to use to access the internet. So quite frankly, because of them being so easy, are going to take over and make search engine optimization dead. They probably will once they're adopted and they're not. I think if I take the folks that I know from my professional life out of the equation, I personally don't know anyone that has any of these devices. Like I can't name a soul that has them. My parents, other people that I know through church or personal life that are of that generation, all the way down to, you know, friends of ours that have kids our age, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have anybody that has one. And so until they're adopted, they're still going to look probably on their phone, but maybe desktop, laptop, while they're at work, whatever it is, uh, that's still going to be the primary source. And it's still going to be voice aided. It won't be voice-dominated. Well, I think vo- there's a slippery slope between voice-aided and voice-dominated. There are, I would say, of the people that you look at, they are using mobile phones, smartphones. And so they do have voice-aided devices now. And more than likely, they are using them. Maybe they're not revealing to you that they're using them. Maybe you haven't observed them, but they are. The thing is here, it's about usability and reducing the friction. Anything we could do to make it easier for people to find information, they're going to adopt to it, and they're going to adopt to it fast. Saying that they're not adopting to it now is similar to what people were saying 10 years ago when they were saying, well, no one's going to really take up Twitter in healthcare in hospitals. Well, guess what? 10 years later, that's an important part of a digital approach. Adoption is not a limitation for usability. Anything that's more usable, people will use. Exactly. Just like Google Glass. (laughs) 
<laughs> so in 10 years, we can have this conversation again. I get that this is going to be adopted, but very seldom does the first iteration stick. This is on a good path, and we're going to see it work eventually. There's no end in sight to the need for current SEO strategies and techniques. Well, Amazon Echo has been around for a number of years, and it's only getting better and better and better. I think that we're talking about it now because they introduced devices that are actually very, very affordable, you know, $30 to get it in your home. Google has introduced a competitive, uh, the Google Home, for about that price. What we're doing is they've used all of the information they learned from this. This is no Google Glass, right? <laughs> Right? They're going to actually, they're actually using these to improve the experience. Let me tell you, man, it is so convenient for me to be able to, while I'm making coffee in the morning, ask what's new of Alexa and to hear the latest news from NPR or find out what the weather is or to start my shopping list. These are the things that are going to very rapidly make other technologies like SEO obsolete. Going to make obsolete not currently obsolete. So I think, yeah, so I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I think it's you can't stop doing what you're doing, but you've got to start taking these other things into account. Well, okay, so this is where we're going to like stop the argument and we're going to kind of find the common ground here. I actually think, though, you know, SEO is changing. SEO is now making sure that you can have these devices find your content based on new different types of searches, if that's really what we're talking about. SEO is never going to go away. You have to be able to make whatever that search engine is, if it's a Google Home device or a uh, Fitbit or a, a mobile computer or whatever it is, you have to be able to make sure your content, your information is optimized so that people can find it easier. And so I think that that is something that where I see where the future state will be in this case. That's my personal real opinion. Yeah, so it's evolving. It's not stopping. It's a little bit hard to argue that SEO is going away. Yeah. Given given how many times people, and trust me, the next time you're in a doctor's office and the doctor says, I can't find my name when I Google it, SEO is top of your list. That's right. This is the Ask the Experts section in our podcast today. And since our topic is about SEO, we decided to get one of the preeminent experts on SEO, search engine optimization, in the country. Someone that I've known for many, many years and um, have come to watch and admire his skills grow and, and mature as search has grown and mature over the years. And that's my old friend, Patrick Singson. Patrick, how's it going, buddy? It's going well, Chris. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> that, was, that was quite the intro. Thank you. You and I have been through a lot together, sure. as a lot of people know. Why don't you tell people a little bit about you and your background for those of you who may not know who you are. So I've been um, an SEO professional, but I've worked for a lot of different industries, but mainly for healthcare and healthcare mobile app companies, but also for financial institutions like Bank of America. I've worked for insurance companies like Nationwide, uh, even down to um, a marijuana social media site, Mass Roots. The traffic gains I've made for clients going backwards is in the hundreds of percentiles, so 900% before that, 2,800% before that, 400%. And what I tell my clients is that, you know, Tons of traffic solves all sorts of problems. Tell us a little bit about the what what you see as the state of SEO right now. Okay, so let's start with the basics or the base. Um, before, when we had a desktop search, we had the Google eight blue links, and then we went to to localized search, so um, searches with a local query, and then cell phones arose, and so we have mobile search. And then the rise of apps. So now we have mobile apps. Down to now, we have personalization. Um, and, you know, social. What's happening with social? And then it keeps going on from there. Okay, so let's, let's talk about each one of those. Okay, so I, I think a lot of us understand desktop search and the kind of the eight 
the eight blue links, right? But even though there's been some changes around that, you know, the, the Google One box, right? So Google basically wants to give you one answer to your query. And at first it can look confusing, I suppose, to some people. But when you query about, say, a restaurant, it brings up a box that might have images, a map, hours of operation, ratings and reviews. What they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out what is the intent of the user when they're querying about a restaurant. Well, for Google, based on their history of user behavior, they're saying a person wants to know, is the food good? Where is it? How much is it? Did other people like it? And so that's bringing more elements of the search based on things that that Google thinks is important to that search, and it's, it's associating that and presenting that. Yeah, what is important to the person and what is their intent when they use a certain query? Google knows that that's basically what I want, and so it just gives it to you. Tell us about how search has changed with the advent of mobile. What's interesting about mobile is that Google doesn't have to figure out where you're at. They know where you're at. So you can make general queries that have a local scent, if you will. Um, when I'm in my car driving through Lakewood, Colorado, Google already knows that I'm in Lakewood, Colorado. And, and if I put up vegan restaurants without any sort of local qualifier, what it will return is vegan restaurant options in Lakewood, Colorado. Not that you use your phone and drive at the same time. Well, with voice search. Search has evolved to now it's not on your desktop. You're just asking a question in the air. And the device, whether it be Echo or one of the other voice-activated searches, gives you an answer, right? But it's only one answer. It's not eight answers. And so what they're trying to figure out is what is the absolute correct answer to this question? That has always existed. For example, in desktop search in the past, the number one result got 65% of the traffic. And doesn't that make sense? Because if your question is answered in the first link, why would you go to the second link? So really, good search engine optimization is about putting the right answer at the top of every search, regardless of where you're searching from. Yeah, trying to get the most relevant results back to the person who's searching for that result. Okay, then you mentioned that there's an evolution to apps and, um, and social. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, apps, they exist on mobile devices. They're similar to mobile websites, but they're kind of a curated environment. And at first, they weren't open to search. But because Google is in the search business, their first order of action once apps started taking over was to open up apps to search. And it only benefits the search engines to open up the apps to search. Social media is interesting. All of a sudden, you don't have just a visitor, you have a person. Not just a person, but their social circle. They know about you, the people who you like, who you comment on, on the products that you like. And so they have a, a three-dimensional, even fourth-dimensional view of a user. To me, that's kind of the evolution of personalization, that they really can target you as a person and not just say, a visitor. Instead of um, relying upon the person to take an action, leap over the query and just give you answers that go, as you scroll upwards, they can give you answers that, that you may need at, right at that point because they know because of your activities and your friends that you need this right now. So clearly the types of search and the way to begin search engine optimizing or SEOing is becoming much more complex given desktop, mobile, apps, and social. What are some ideas, tips, tricks that you would provide to healthcare organizations that are wanting to begin owning their SEO online? You know, the, the first actions that I take with any client, whether it be a healthcare or financial or an insurance company, or, is to get the basics covered. You know, what they say, the first two items for optimization that are within the algorithm is content and links. After that point, you talk to someone like me. Make sure that the basics are covered. They have content, they have links, but then it has to be structurally organized 
in a way that makes sense for the user and for the search engines. So I had a client where their website had a ton of content. They had links from very reputable organizations coming in, but they weren't getting traffic. I did a restructure and their traffic quadrupled. It was very simple to restructure the website in a way that made their their content visible to Google. After the basics are covered, I guess at that point in time, you start focusing on those specific strategies. It might be a local strategy. It might be optimization around physicians' names or whatever it might be at that point in time. For the consumer that has choices, are you the number one choice? Are you the number one, should you be the number one relevant result for that query? If you don't have a page that addresses that query, well, that might be the alpha query. That might be the type of query that gets you 15% of your traffic or more. That could be the query that gets, you know, thousands, tens of thousands. I had a client where they had one query, which was 15% of their searches, and that was 100,000 searches. In the analytics, you have all sorts of information. And you can find out if the queries that are coming to your site are relevant for what you want to provide. In reference to hospitals, they have to make the decision about where they want to live on the patient's journey. Do they want to exist on the research phase, which is at the very beginning? Like, what is, what is heart surgery? What are the complications in heart surgery? To the very end, I want to research these three doctors that I got recommendations for. I want to know how good they are. I want to know the facility that is in my area. Where, where do you see SEO, search engine optimization, evolving to? It's where a lot of websites are moving to right now. So, for example, Amazon's plan, or one of their plans, is to send you items you didn't even order, but are likely to order based on your shopping behavior. That sort of personalization, that they know so much about you that they will provide information to you before you even know it. So gathering enough information about people so that you can predictively put information in front of them before they actually knew, know what they're searching for. Right, right. Yeah. To f- the, the difference between social and search is that it jumps past the query that we have the feed. So it feeds you a customized feed for the consumer to consume based on your social connections, your comments, your likes, your reactions, your social circle. They paint a fuller picture of a person more lifelike than a Google visitor or a session. What other things are, are coming down the, the, down the path that we need to take a look at? You know, if we want to go into outer space, we can talk about the Internet of Things. You know, it's, you know, the microwave waves uh, conducting surveillance, if you will. You know, the computer in ordinary devices. So, say your Fitbit, for example. Let's say a futuristic Fitbit. It's one thing to say, I think I'm having a heart attack which is subjective. You might be having heartburn. You might be having a gallstone attack. Two, the alternative example, you are definitely having a heart attack and an ambulance is on its way and your Fitbit does it for you. The Fitbit knows enough about you and your statistics and then also the statistics for a person showing the classic signs and symptoms of having a heart attack. And so all of a sudden it becomes objective, not subjective. It becomes diagnostic, it becomes active, it becomes reactive, it becomes utilitarian, useful to the person, absolutely useful, especially in in healthcare related matters. But then you have to ask, what are the HIPAA implications of this? You know, is, is this sharing my information? Is it possible to be hacked? You know, and then for me, I go, well, how does this fit in with search? It actually may not. It may be something completely different. It sounds to me like even search engine optimization might potentially be going away. You know, I've heard that for like the past 10 years. And every year, I always prove that search engine optimization exists. There may be a far distant future where search engine optimization will be something completely different. But some form of optimization will exist. Can you help me maybe get a peace of mind around this that the robots aren't going to take over the future <laughs> how do you know i'm not a robot mind blown <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing is is that uh it's old pinocchio story right it's a toy becoming a boy artificial intelligence that already exists it's part of the algorithm it's something called rank brain for google rank net for bing or the other search engine. If you take a human, we're so advanced that you could have two pictures, one a nice website and one a crappy website. 
And we can look at a glance in milliseconds and say, well, that one's obviously crappy. What computers are doing is doing the same thing, but even faster, right? And the artificial intelligence right now is very narrow, but once it starts, it's like an idiot savant right now, but once it becomes as smart as human, then the next stage is smarter than human. And at that point, it's going to happen so fast that we won't know what hit us. Okay, I'm not sure I res- I feel more assured that robots aren't going to take over the future. But, well, Patrick, this has been a really great conversation, really insightful, learned some cool things that we could apply today, but also just kind of blew my mind on some of the future stuff. Hey, if people want to learn more about you, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, they can get to me through um, LinkedIn or my websites, uh, theravenfirm.com. Great. Well, thanks so much. I mean, it's really good to catch up after all these years. You still are on the cutting edge. I really appreciate that. But thanks a lot for participating in this conversation and being part of our podcast. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure. It's like uh, old times again. Right, Reed, here we come to the end, near the end of episode eight around uh, search engine optimization. Talked about SEO for a while and uh, went into is SEO dead? We, we did it both in the context of Shell Holtz's article, which was pretty yep. good. And then we also did kind of a back and forth argument, which is very hard for us to argue <laughs> that it was, but still, yes. um, it was a good argument. And then we had a really good Ask the Expert interview with an old friend of mine, Patrick Singson. It was really good. He and I, as you know, have a long history together, and that was good to kind of bring up to speed on some of the stuff that he's been doing. So we typically like to close our podcast with a couple of things. First of all, we'll get into where we're going to be next, and then we'll offer up a recommendation. Reed, what are you doing next? I guess the next thing, publicly at least on the agenda, is the Healthcare Financial Management Association, the Lone Star Chapter, which is up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is having me up to speak at their uh, spring, I believe they call it a spring institute. So that will be middle of April. So we'll uh, put a link to that if anybody listening in Texas would like to come see me there, get some HFMA credits, etc. There'll be a link on how to uh, sign up and do that. I'm speaking up in Boston for Stewart Healthcare uh, to their physician audience. It's actually a CME certified program around physician online reputation management and what doctors today have to know and understand about digital. I'll be doing that be in early May. And then the week later, I will be down in Austin at the Forum for Healthcare Strategists. And there I'm speaking with Marcy Edwards from Multicare, as well as Vanessa Hughes from Essentia. We're going to be talking about the 360-degree customer experience and how to build one for your organization. Now, what's cool about the Forum, Reed, is not only is it in your neck of the woods and you'll be there but there's some other news that we're going to talk about so uh new breaking hot off the presses is thank all of you for this but the touchpoint podcast has had a good reception over the last six weeks or so and because of that the touchpoint podcast will actually be on site at the forum for healthcare strategists so we will actually have the Touchpoint podcast there at, at, at the event as well. We're going to record an episode of the podcast. So you'll actually be able to be live in the audience, so to speak, and even potentially on the podcast. We're still kind of working through some of the logistics. Um, so that will actually be uh, much like a session uh, where you can actually attend and hang out with us while we, uh, it's probably the best way to put it, you'll actually be hanging out with us while we record a podcast. In addition to, we're going to be getting sound bites from a lot of the folks in attendance, and those will be a wide range of topics. And it may just be even what's top of mind for you right now in your organization. And we will use those sound bites after the conference in a podcast. That's going to be so exciting to be there. And by the way, I'm really excited to be down in Austin because you have to take me out to one of those food trucks to get the street tacos that I hear so much about. Absolutely. There's plenty of them. So now we're getting into our recommendations. This is where we recommend something. Keep in mind, we're not making any money from making these recommendations. We're just things that we like and we love. Reed, do you have a good recommendation today? Yes, I'm going with an app. This is an iOS app. I'm not sure if they have an Android version or not, so somebody would have to check. This has nothing to do with anything other than it's stuff that I like to do, but it's uh, it's an app called Song 
Hub, S-O-N-G-H-U-B, Song Hub. Chris obviously plays a lot of music. I play the guitar. My kids uh, play uh, some instruments. And so this is a way that they can actually write songs. I can write songs. I can put the chords and lyrics together and then actually have that on an iPad when they do their lesson. So if they write, you know, an original, uh, it's a way we could, you know, don't have to forget. You can record the actual audio. You can do all kinds of stuff with it. So it's, it's a cool little app. It's not the cheapest thing in the world, five or six bucks, I think, but something that's really, really handy. I'm going to check that out because you're right. I do like to play a little bit of a, the ukulele every now and yes, then. Yes, that's right. Uh, that's what I've heard. It's the word on the street. <laughs> that's really cool. Okay, so my um, recommendation is going to be actually a video conference conferencing service that I've used for a while, or it's like a software tool called Zoom. Some people have used Skype, Skype for business. There's a variety of other, you know, like uh, the join me's. And I have used Zoom for a number of years now, and I'm actually really amazed at how great it is. So it's at zoom.us. You can sign up for free. And basically what it allows you to do is to do video conferencing, web conferencing. The free version, I think you get it for 40 minute meetings, which by the way, is a really good time frame for meetings because that way you have 20 minutes afterwards to get ready for your next meeting. You can use it for free. You can try it out. It has amazing, great video quality. It has great ability to share screens. You could dial in from a phone. All around, it's been very useful for me. There's an app for your iPad. There's an app for your phone. And then, of course, you can use it from your computer. I just strongly recommend it. Zoom.us. It's a great recommendation. There's no need to have more than a 40-minute long meeting anyway. Maybe we make a recommendation on 40-minute meetings, yeah. too. That's a third bonus recommendation That's right. there. That's right. It's a great, great idea. <laughs> All right. Well, Reed, um, eight episodes in, I never thought that we would be doing this this frequently and it's been a heck of a lot of fun from the beginning and the more we do this i'm just really excited by how our audience has responded to this and i would love to get more feedback from them we created a linkedin page now yeah we have a linkedin uh, company page so these recordings will also end up there as well as a lot of things there in the show notes like the articles that we've uh, taken a look at we're also available on twitter we have a website yes touchpointpodcast.com to itunes can subscribe rate us and review us Thank you so much for those that have listened. We've had a a really great response and some really great feedback, and we're appreciative of that. I am at Chris Boyer, and he is at Reed Smith. Have a great week, and talk to you next week. 